Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. This chapter we're going to conclude today is an indictment against that kind of biblical teaching or anti-biblical teaching that says that you can lose your salvation. You can't lose something that you never had. You ought to write that down. You can't lose something that you never had. So those people might have talked about having it, but they never genuinely had it. So again, to become a Christian, you do nothing. You simply place your faith in Jesus Christ. Too many verses say it's by faith alone. Too many verses says it's specifically not of works, religious or social works at all. So again, to get saved, you don't do anything but place your faith in Christ. But then again, we don't do any works then to stay saved because no amount of good works are necessary to stay saved because Jesus did the finished work for us on the cross. We do good works now because we are saved, not because we want to stay saved. So now you can look at that person and you might think they lost their salvation. They didn't lose it because they never had it. Now again, you can look at some Christians. You might be one yourself that you looked at your life and you still struggle tremendously with the battle between your old self and your new self. You still struggle with sin. You still struggle immensely with pride and those things about you. You're very um, up and down as a Christian. It doesn't mean you really didn't trust Christ as Savior. You could have authentically at a time in your life come to Him totally broken in a sense that you know that going to heaven was nothing you do yourself. So you turn from yourself, you turn from your works, you turn to Christ by faith. That's the turning, that's the true word of the re word repent, changing your mind, changing your mind about you saving yourself, religion saving you, and now realizing that Christ is the Lord who died and rose again, and by faith in him you have eternal life. You've really done that. But because you haven't applied Romans 8 to your life and you haven't lived out Romans 8 to your, in your life and the Spirit's influence in your life on a consistent basis by a total yieldedness to Him then you struggle with this thing going on and pretty soon you can come to the point where you even begin to doubt your salvation. That's why Peter says in his epistles he says that once we have faith we need to add to our faith virtue and all these other things. Now listen carefully. We don't add these things to our faith in order for God to accept us into heaven. We don't add to our faith these good character traits in order for us to stay saved. We add these character traits because the rest of that passage has a verse in it that says this, lest we forget that we've been purged from our old life, which means that if you don't take your salvation by faith alone and then add to it, those wonderful traits of virtue and honesty, decency, the principles of Scripture. If you don't do that, over a period of time, you can begin to scratch your head and wonder, are you really saved? And so throughout Scripture, you're going to find that doctrine of eternal security taught. If you truly trusted Christ, you're eternally saved. If you haven't trusted Christ and you profess it, but you've never truly possessed it, then you're all over the map with that. Now, that being said, I want to take us back to Romans 8 because I like to talk to this about this chapter being the Christian life at its finest because part of this whole study is knowing that we are saved. If you wanted to have an entire chapter that could speak to the topic of eternal security of the believer, it would be Romans chapter 8, 
for you to understand this. So again, let's just have a quick review of some of the principles we talked about, about what we have as the Christian life, when our Christian life, as a Christian now, we don't do these things to get saved. These are things that God has done for us because he has saved us and the spirit of God, when he controls us, we experience these things in our life. The first is we have no condemnation. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We are without condemnation when we trust Christ as Savior. It says, therefore, there is now, underline that, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Last week, we spent a great deal of time explaining that when you place your faith in Christ, then Christ takes over and he places you into his body and you have eternal life. He is in you and you are in him and there's no more condemnation. Even says John 3.16, the verse that's probably the most memorized verse in the Bible, sometimes the least understood of all the memorized verses, but it goes like this. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only son, that's Christ, that whoever you are, whatever kind of person you are, if you believe in Christ, you will not perish but have everlasting life. What really seals the deal is the next two verses that says this. Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Therefore, we're not condemned any longer. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But that through him we might be saved. It says, he that believes on him, Christ, is not condemned. That's why there's no more condemnation. But he that believes not is already condemned. Why? The rest of the verse says. Because we haven't believed in Christ. So what puts humanity under the condemnation of God is being born to start with. Because we're born with a sin nature, and by that sin nature, we do sinful deeds. So we are condemned. But once we trust in Christ, there's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. You know, by not having the condemnation of the Lord, for some of you, you might read it this way. That means God is not angry with you. There are many people that think that God is tremendously angry with us. I heard that recently on a talk show last night as I was driving about. Someone was talking about, oh, God in the Old Testament is an angry God. He's a wrathful God in the Old Testament. Yes, God hates sin. Yes, there is judgment. But we also have to understand that God is a very loving God. And you can look at a plethora of illustrations of God's mercy that was given to the Jews, especially in the Old Testament, of his great love. And so I want you to know that when you trust Christ as Savior, there's no more no condemnation with the Lord any longer. And watch this. Even when you sin as a believer, because we are not perfect, and we are forgiven, and we still will sin, there is still no more eternal condemnation in hell, and there's no day-to-day condemnation, because God says, I provided a way for you to live a victorious Christian life and enjoy the security you have in me. Because watch, he says, you don't keep yourself saved. He says, I keep you saved. So your salvation is locked with me, not with you. And I never lost anyone. He says, I've never cast anyone out. You are all in my hand, and it's my power that keeps you saved. And so you have a God that loves you. So you're not condemned. What does that mean? That means you can have peace. So no more condemnation, and I hope that you have the peace of God that passes all understanding. The second truth that we learned last week is that it's a life without domination. And in the context, it's primarily talking about the domination of sin. Now, this is a little bit mysterious for some of you. I do not want to weaken the significance of sin. In fact, during the messages I'll be giving during Easter, I'm going to talk about how horrible sin is as it relates to Christ and God and what sin did to the relationship of Christ and God. You want to hear that part of the message especially. So I want you to know that sin is horribly powerful. But what you need to know that as powerful as sin is, God is infinitely more powerful than sin. And through Christ, we have victory over sin. So... 
We don't have to be under the domination of sin in our life. So if some of you are saying, you know, I've got this problem with greed, or I've got this problem with moral impurity, I've got this problem with bitterness, or just some practical things. Maybe you've got some chemical problems. You you ingest some addiction going on in your life, and you say, that's just so powerful in my life. I am not going to minimize the power of that sin in your life. But what I want to do is maximize the power of God through the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer when you yield and you release that power in your life to have victory over those addictions, those hang-ups, hurts, and habits that you have all wrapped up in sin. So in that case, we have power because of the Spirit. If you'll recall, we talked about the the Holy Spirit or the Spirit is mentioned so many times in Romans chapter 8 where he's not mentioned in chapter 6 and 7 because the Spirit is what this chapter is all about for victory, assurance of your salvation, and eternal security as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you will, drop down to verse 11 and you'll see what I mean. Verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... And by the way, stop for a moment. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And the word if there means since. It would be like me saying, if you're here today, well, you are here today. So I could say, but since you're here today, that's what this is saying. But since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life. That doesn't necessarily mean just eternal life when you die. That means life right now to your mortal bodies, which means you have life. You have the power in the Spirit of God to have victory. Through His Spirit, again He says it, who dwells in you. Now look very carefully to what I'm about to say. We know that when Jesus was alive, He was very much alive, like you're here today. But when He died, He was very much dead, 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 dead as a doornail dead. We know that. He was dead for three days, best... As we know, we know he's in the grave three days, so he was dead. But then it said that he was raised again. Ephesians says not only was he raised again, he was then seated at the right hand of the Father and every principality, every power that was, was put under him. Now watch this now. Whatever that power was that took Jesus that was dead and raised him and placed him in the heavenlies with his Father and all other power, that same power source is the Spirit in the context of that verse who now dwells within you and me as a believer. So I said that now to say this. If you say those sins, those hurts, hang-ups, and habits are so powerful, I feel so enslaved, then what you're saying is those things are more powerful than the Spirit of God who can take a dead Jesus and put him up at the right hand of the Father. You see how ridiculous that is? So that's why you don't look at your life to determine whether or not you're really saved. You don't look at your life to say, I can overcome this. You know, whatever my mind can conceive, my myself can achieve. I can't do any of that. I can't pull myself up by the bootstraps. All I can do is say, Lord, not I, but thee. I can't, you can, therefore I will because I'm doing it in your strength. So again, it's a life without domination. So you can live a victorious Christian life. Now watch this. It never means that you'll be sinless. Now, why is that? Look up here again. This is our old nature. My left arm representing our new nature. It's perfect. We are still wrapped together here. And as long as we live, we still have a new nature. Positionally, it's been put to death. Practically, it's still alive and operating. That's why you have the conflict. Read Galatians. It'll tell you about that. The third truth we learned was it's life without desperation. Without desperation. Some of you might feel so desperate right now. You maybe feel the next step beyond desperation, which is hopeless. You feel hopeless. And so if it's a life without desperation as a believer in Christ, that also means you have a life now, what I call in your life, a promise from God. We might even say that you have hope from the Lord. 
So I want you to know that no matter what struggle you're going through, that you don't have to feel so desperate or feel like it's all lost and so discouraged. I want you to know that you have not only a promise-making God, you have a promise-keeping God. So let's look at a passage here just to show you a little bit how special this is. Drop down, if you will, for just a moment to see how wonderful this is to um, verse uh, 23. Look at verse 23. It's a little hard to understand, so let me make it clear to you when we do this. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, that means we get the Spirit in us, even we ourselves groan, within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoptions as sons, in other words, to go to heaven, and our redemption of our body. We're just waiting. We're looking forward to this. This is something we can't wait. It's, we're eagerly waiting for this. All right, now, let me, um, let me say it this way. I'm going to share a little practical thing at our house. There's probably no food that I don't eat as long as it's dead. I don't eat anything that's still alive. One, one time when I was in youth work, I did eat something that is alive, and I think it cured me. I had a, a competition between some of our kids, and I said, if you brought 100 kids to, on this date to our youth meeting, I'll eat a live goldfish. And so I had the little goldfish in a bowl, and I showed it to him every week. Come on out. Look at our goldfish. What I didn't know is that they kept feeding the goldfish, and over a month, that little goldfish that I bought kind of grew, all right? And then the last day, the uh, youth uh, uh, leader, he was a high school kid, a junior high kid in high school, I was dealing with it, but... He came up and he brought his own goldfish. And he says, all right, would you um, still eat this goldfish or that goldfish? If we have over 150, would you then uh, uh, let us pick which goldfish that uh, you're going to eat? And I thought, oh, if you can beat 150, I'll do it. I'll never forget this as long as I live. That day they had 150 people there, kids. The place was just jammed. It was mobbed, standing room only. Kids were sitting on the rug squares. And so now they blindfolded me and they said, okay, now you've got to pick which jar. So they're doing all the, you know, junior high kids, you know, they, they get under your skin and then they get into your heart kind of thing. And so they, and oh, I'm picking it. So, all right, I reach in there and Carol was nervous because she didn't like any animals that are alive to die, you know, and so I'm going to eat a live goldfish, you know. So I grabbed this goldfish and I thought, you know what, if I put this nice, uh, cool goldfish into my nice, warm mouth, it's going to blah, 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 all over my tongue, and I don't know what I'm going to do then. So I thought, I'm going to take this goldfish. I held it in my hand, and while I did, I told him a nice, long story, hoping that it would stun this goldfish. And sure enough, I, and I swallowed that whole thing. Now, that's a story that I probably don't even need to tell you. Where am I going with this? There's probably nothing that I don't eat. When we go to China, put it in front of me, I've eaten all sorts of stuff, no problem. But I can tell you this, the stuff I really don't like to eat, I look forward to the dessert because I know that later on that dessert's going to be real special. I can endure this because of that. Now, why am I telling you this? There are times in our life when our body begins to deteriorate. As we get older, some of you have more aches, pains, and all of that. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've been at the near uh, bedside of dying people, the deathbed. Frail, elderly people still have their mind very sharp, but their bodies are just aching and barely able to eat. And when they stop eating, you know, the reason they're not eating, they're not hungry because their system is shutting down. They can't even digest this stuff. And when I'm there, I can't remember one of them who was a believer who didn't um, say this to me. They'd say, Pastor, (laughs) Pastor, I can't wait to get to heaven. And I would always think they're probably going to say, to get a new body. You know what they say to me? They say, because I want to ask God, Why did he leave me here so long when I was so old like this? You know, they were so eagerly waiting for heaven. Why am I telling you that? 
Because when you become a Christian, you don't have to be in desperation any longer. You're not looking for the undertaker, as they say. You're looking for the upper taker, which is the Lord to take you on up to heaven. And that's the joy that we have in that passage. Now, let me ask you another particular question. If you're going through a deep time right now that you absolutely needed, quote, a miracle from God, I use that in a general term, and you only had one person that you would share that with for prayer because you knew that person was a person of prayer, who would that be? Who, who would you ask that you know is an authentic prayer warrior, so much so that it seems like they always get their prayers answered yes? Do you have someone like that in your mind? If you do, would you raise your hand if you have one person? You can only go to one. You know that person who that would be. Would you raise your hand? Okay, put your hands down. I thought about that a lot. I've got some uh, great retired pastors that are in my life, great mentors, leaders. Then I, I would take my prayer request to them. But frankly, the best prayer warrior in my life is, and this is going to get her busy, I'm sure, is my wife. This woman is a woman of prayer. She'll just drop and pray at a hat at any moment. She just has that communion with the Lord. Now, not dissing my poor wife, but I want you to listen to this. Would, if I had the choice between my wife and my prayer warrior, my, my, my mentor, and I had the opportunity for the Holy Spirit himself to take my request to God the Father, what do you think I would take? Who do you think I would choose? I would take the Lord, wouldn't I? And I want you to know there's no desperation for you. You may not get to your favorite prayer partner, study buddy, mentor in your life, or mate who prays deeply. But I know that wherever you are at any time, because you are a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ, that you are now in Christ, you're a child of God, and the Holy Spirit is going to groan with you because he knows what you're going through, that struggle between the old man and the new man, all the persecution that you might be going through, even when you're living victoriously for the Lord, because you are, that's why you are being persecuted and suffering for Jesus' sake, we might say. And so even the Spirit of God is praying to God the Father, and that's why you don't have to live live in desperation, why you must have hope, and how you can understand that you have the promise of God behind you. Look at this great passage here. Go back to it again. It's so neat. Verse 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. And there are times we don't. Do I ask for this? Ask for that? Do I ask for now or later? How do I pray? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words, and he, God the Father, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Why? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, watch this now, according to the will of God, and I'd rather say it this way, according to the word of God. So what's happening right now is when the Holy Spirit is taking my request to God the Father, God knows what the Spirit is praying because the Spirit is only praying what is the very best for me because whatever that is is according to the Word of God. Now watch this. This even gets better. I don't want you to think you have God and then you have Jesus and then you have the Holy Spirit here. I want you to see that what is happening here is something beyond what any theologian can adequately express and teach you and that is this. It is what we might call an inter-Trinitarian conversation. You've heard of the Trinity, so now you have an inter-Trinitarian conversation. So you have the Trinity that are talking to one another, so to speak, about you and me, and that's just because we've trusted Christ as our Savior and we're in His forever family. So He can't cast you away. You can't lose your salvation. You can live victoriously because you've got God on your side. And like they said, when you've got God, you've got a majority. All right, so again, life without desperation, but life with promise. Now, now some new material for you. It's also a life without miscalculation. Miscalculation. 
What I mean by that is some of you might be looking over your life right now and you're going to say, Stan, you don't know my life. It is nothing but a bunch of one raw deal after another raw deal. I got swindled in this business. I, I married this person and it was under fraud. They, they, they acted one way when we were dating, but then when we got married, it kind of all fell apart and now I'm stuck with this person. You don't know what it's like where I've lived. You don't know what's happened on my job. You don't know what's happened with my health. So much just has avalanched on me. And you're feeling so like my life has no purpose and no meaning and all of this. Well, keep that in mind. I'm not going to deny your feelings and your pain that you have right now. But what I want to do is take that little bit of pain, a little bit of lemon, and maybe turn it into a little bit of a lemonade in your life because that's really where God wants to go with it. So follow along with me as we pick up a new section of Scripture for today. Verse 28 is a very popular passage. So let me read it to you. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose or his plans, his reasons, his motives, his objectives. 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You might underline that, conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Just declare just as if you've never sinned. So all of that is in the mechanism of God so that you would come to faith in Christ. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I know we're going to be glorified when we get to heaven, but this is positional truth, so we're looking at it now. I'm glorified now. And frankly, I could go all the way back to the cross when Jesus died. I was glorified in Christ when he died, just like I was a sinner in Adam, when he sinned, I'm glorified in Christ because I united with Christ. Now stay with me on this. So when you see this great passage that says that God works together all these things, some of you might be questioning that. How can he work together these things for good? Let me see if I could put it in a common street language. I don't think there's a funeral that goes by that I don't add this concept in it. Somewhere in my message or my prayer, and that is simply this. That each one of you according to this passage and many others, Psalm 139 and others, each one of us actually were in God's mind before we were ever born. Now, you've got to own that. We were in God's mind before we were ever born. If we're in his mind, that also would mean that we were on his drawing board. Drawing board means schematically he was making us before we were ever made. He was making us. It was all predestined. It was all foreknown. So we're in God's mind before... We were ever born. We are on his drawing board. And in the course of all of that, God in his sovereignty then chose for us to have life for as long as he chose for us to have life. That brings in the fetuses and all the rest and why we are pro-life. Going back into this though. So he knew when we... And so God chose that man, that woman, with their plumbing system to come together to produce you. Now, whether it was a wonderful, functional mom and dad or dysfunctional or whatever it was, watch this now, there were no uh-ohs with God, okay? Now, does that mean that God sanctions illegitimate children and the birth of all of that? No, he doesn't sanction that. But what he is saying is that should that occur, I will cause that to work to good for you no matter what happened to make you you and where you are. So take that a little bit further. So you're in God's mind on his drawing board. He then uses those two people to come together. You are not born. So that means you have life, however long that might be. And he also gives you, when you trust Christ as Savior, eternal life. So whatever is happening in your life, you can then sit back and not say, this is a raw deal. This is a miscalculation. 
Now, I'm not going to take away the time that outside circumstances came against you and affected you to the point that you are still living with the pain of whatever has happened to you or maybe the consequences of that particular sin. What I do want you to know, though, no matter what that might be, God can turn that around for something far better than that. Now, I did a scripture search just on the whole concept of all things working together for good. Just listen to this. I don't have time in this message to unpack it all. But do your own scripture search if you want. The all things that God did for good was this. God had righteousness come your way, and that was good. For me, it was the righteous act of Carol who invited me to a meeting right here, the complete salvation message, and she led me to Christ. The righteousness of God in Carol that brought me that message. That was good. So it doesn't mean that all the bad has to happen, and he brought it to me in my lost condition. Then all God's wisdom is provided for me. So that's a good thing. I have God's wisdom on the matter, not a secular worldview. I have God's goodness That's an interesting phrase. God's goodness brings about all good in my life. And why would that be? Because God's motivated by his own nature, which is good. So that means all things work together for good. Not that he worked the bad for good. He took the bad and he worked it for good. That's a good phrase. All right. Then it says God is faithful. That means I don't have to worry about God jumping like a Mexican jumping bean all over the place. That he is faithful. He's faithful to his word. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.